Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. Well, let me welcome all of our locations officially and those online. So glad you're with us. My name is Joey and have the honor of still being the lead pastor right here. Uh, at the Block Church. And uh, before we get into anything today, I want to celebrate uh, one of our staff members, Pastor Xavier and Bree. Uh, they had their first baby. So that's exciting. Congrats to you guys. I know they're glued to the television watching right now. So uh, we are beginning a brand new series today called This Is Your Sign. And the word of God is a constant sign of direction for us. And the value of the sermon uh, is it is a sign for us to be hearers of the word and then doers. Uh, the Bible encourages us and instructs us not to just be hearers, but be doers. And so because of that, uh, we, we've got we've to take this word and not just see it as a sign to stop or to go or to go this way or that way, but then actually do it. And so over the next uh, several, I guess, couple months, three months, I'm going to be walking us through the book of 2 Corinthians. And it's a great, great book. And I think you get a lot of signs from the Lord through it. It'll take us all the way till Easter Sunday. And so it's going to be awesome. And so I'm excited about it. This is your sign, week one. Uh, but hey, have you, let me ask you this. Have you heard the term, have you heard the term uh, stand on business? Have you heard it? Uh, some would say that Drake coined the phrase. Uh, others say it was a comedian from TikTok. TikTok, my wife thought TikTok was spelled with a C. Anyway, uh, stand on business. Here's what it means to take care of your responsibilities or put your money where your mouth is. Means you get done and you follow through what you said you were going to do. Another way to say it was, would be maybe, maybe, maybe an older school would say, I'm just taking care of business. According to the Urban Dictionary, great resource, the phrase is defined as to take care of your obligations, to be about your grind, completing your tasks. When faced with a situation, you are urged to handle your affairs. There's something on the insides that are like, I got to do this. If you're standing on business, it means you're sticking to your values. You're walking the walk and talking the talk. Some examples, though, of people who do not stand on business would be like a guy who asks a girl on a date and doesn't pay. Yeah, that's the rules of this house. You're not standing on anything. Ladies, do not let him get away with that. Just sit there or leave. Uh, somebody who acts, talks like they make more money than they do. Know anybody like that? 
Uh, somebody who says, that's the last time I'm skipping church. And they skipped again. Oh boy. <laughs> they say they're going to Ven Venmo or cash app you, but they don't. But you don't. Uh, they promise to get together, but never set the appointment. Oh yeah, let's get together. Let's get, but it never happens. Which I've been guilty of a few times. <laughs> say they want to help or pray. I'm, I'm moving. Text me. Text me. Uh, you know, I can help you. And then they never do. Or, hey, will you pray for me? Did you pray for me? No. You know who these people are? Some of you are those people. <laughs> and this is a good place to confess your sins because he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. <laughs> so 2024, stand on business, but also even if you can't. The whole point of the God we serve is this. He's never not stood on his. You don't have to worry. You don't have to wonder if God is going to do his part. For all of time, all of time, his promises have been proven true. He's faithful. And so this is your sign today. This is your sign, title of the message, God Stands on Promises. If you've been a recipient of his fulfilled promises, would you say amen today? Well, some of you are holding that hand of that promise. Some of you thought that person would never be in church, and here they are with you. Your child would never come to Christ, here they are with you. You would never be healed of that disease, here you are whole. You never would have had the provision, but somehow you paid the rent. I, I, I'm just telling you that God stands on promises. You got to get that in you today so you can get through this year victoriously. So we're going 2 Corinthians. That's what we're studying. 2 Corinthians. I don't know if I actually said that or if I said 1 Corinthians, but we're studying 2 Corinthians uh, all through these next several months. Verse 1, here we go. This letter is from Paul chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. I am writing to God's church in Corinth and to all of his holy people throughout Greece. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? There's something that I want us to say together. Holy people. Say holy people. Holy people. All right, so we're going to come back to that. Paul is introducing himself again as an apostle, and it is necessary. An apostle, one who starts works. And basically, he is held in low regard among these Christians in Corinth. So he needed them to remember and recognize his credentials because this church was messed up and they were mad at Paul. And I know there are a lot of people, particularly those who are mad and who are offended, uh, who would go all the time, man, we gotta be more like the early church. Everybody heard anybody say that before? Have you said that before? You know, somebody who's just like, man, I don't like how things are going. Got to be more like the early church, okay? And, and maybe on some level, that is true. 
uh, where there are some great things about the early church and, and, and the consistency of the communion and the fellowship and the, and the getting together. And, uh, but I just, just for a little context, um, the early church got together like every single day. Oh, they also, uh, you know, they, they also gave way more than 10%. You still want to be part of the early church? Okay. I'm down for that if you are. But they're, they're, they're mad at, at, at Paul and this church is messed up. Okay. Uh, and, and I, and I think I want to, before I read why and how this church is so messed up. I just want to like help us guard our heart a little bit because again, there is this movement where you've got this, this, this statement out here that we've got this big evangelistic industrial complex that hates people and the church is corrupt and all these different things. But let me just compare it like this, okay? Um, there are about 100,000 flights a day. Over 5 million passengers fly on airplanes every day with over 2 billion passengers traveling in 36 million flights a year. Yet, all we really ever hear about is an emergency landing and some bad turbulence. Do you hear about all the thousands and millions of safe and smooth flights all year long? Of course not. Why? Because that wouldn't make the news. That's boring. And I think when it comes to the way that many view the church today is many think or many declare and claim that the church is the millions of flights that are smooth, but they're crashing when the reality is there's a few false prophets and there's a few bad apples. And so when we make these declarations that the church is nothing like the early church and we can and all this different stuff, we need to be careful that we're not actually saying lies because we're mad at a person as opposed to God's institution. So the early church, right? Like in this church, the sexual sin was rampant. I mean, you had some weird stuff happening. One of the things though, that was not weird, but sad was that they didn't want to restore a repentant brother. And at first they were lax on his sin and then they were too harsh. The early church had way more logistical challenges and drama than you could imagine. And death. The early church... um, particularly this church, despised Paul because he was challenging and rebuking them. They call him crazy and Paul's response to them was, yes, I am crazy. I am crazy about Jesus. I'm crazy about you and I'm crazy about the church. They also, this church, they followed false apostles on TikTok and Instagram because they like things to tickle their ears, but not convict their hearts. The Corinthians judged by outward appearance, they were not spiritual and they were not seeing with spiritual eyes. They were obsessed with image more than reality, which is probably more like us than we want to admit. We know this because of 1 Corinthians, which we may get to later in the year, but I just couldn't start the year off on 1 Corinthians because I'm not sure anybody would have been left. (laughs) 
But I just want to illuminate that, that these people were messed up. Now, verse one shows us that Paul intends the letters to be shared among the churches. They weren't just for the Christians in Corinth because you see, he says, to all of Greece or to the places surrounding it. And so when you see that, what that means for you and I is very clear that this letter and these instructions are for you and me today and now. And so you can't sit here and hear this and not apply it. You cannot buffet God's words when it is very clear it's for you and I today. But also I want to point out to encourage you that it is remarkable that Paul freely calls the Corinthians holy people or in other translations, saints. That's encouraging considering there are many problems. Because we often see the terms saints and we think that it is super spiritual people only, okay? But again, as you observe what this is and who these people are, and yet Paul mirrors God and how God treats you, how God sees you and what God calls you. God calls these messed up people who are rude and wrong to Paul. He calls them holy people. He calls them saints. So if you have a sin problem today, if you've got secret sin today, if you've got anger in your heart, if you've got some things you're working out and you declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you're repentant of your sin when aware of it, let me tell you something. You are also holy people and saints. And that's good news. Meaning God can use you if he can use them. And I just want to also mirror what Paul says and get this into your soul and get this into your heart that God sees potential, not just problems. God calls you by your new creation self, not your old creation self. In other words, you might've been an adulterer, but today in Jesus' name, you're a faithful person. You might've been a violent person, but today you're a loving person. You might have been an angry person, but today you're a peaceful person in progress. You might have been an absent person, but in Jesus' name, you're going to be and you are a good mom and a good dad. You might have been a lazy person, but today going forward, you work hard because you're doing all things as if you're doing it under Jesus Christ. You might have been a liar, but today you are a truth teller and a truth detector. You put on the belt of truth and things are different. You're not a failure. You are a success story in the making. You are not final. You're still being chiseled out. You are a work in progress. God is perfecting because he who starts a good work intends to finish it. So that's the setup here in 2 Corinthians. Paul's writing a letter. He's got a little bit of holy frustration. These people are crazy. Paul loves them anyway and calls them holy because God calls out potential, not problems. Verse three, all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful father. And the source, somebody say source. That's a promise. It's a sign. He's the source of all you need, of all comfort. 
He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. Okay, look at me for a second. All right. Um, a reminder here that again, uh, uh, faith at work is a faith that works. And so you can't just sit here and be a receiver and a spectator your whole Christian journey. It's not feasible and it's not scriptural. You must contribute, you must participate because how then can God give you great comfort and you not give it away? There's a responsibility to receive and then release. That's the kingdom of God. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. In other words, man, God has given you his Holy Spirit you get to be Jesus and give his Holy Spirit back to others. Now, the words here, all comfort, because this is a popular verse in this passage come from the ancient Greek word periklesis. Uh, The idea behind this word for comfort in the New Testament, it's always more, it has more meaning than soothing sympathy. You understand? Always more meaning. Uh, It actually has a broader idea, a bigger idea of strengthening, of helping, of making strong. The idea behind this word is communicated by the Latin word comfort, which is fortis, which means brave. When you see the words, the God of all comfort, it's not just God going, hey man, you fell down. Give, let me give you a hug. Let me give you a kiss on the cheek. Why don't you cry on my chest? While that's what God does and can do, God is more robust and a broader and bigger father than this. God doesn't just let you whine and cry. Not that that can be bad because sometimes you need it. But God says, I'm going to make you brave. I am going to make you strong. I am going to give you what you need to accomplish what I've called you to. See, uh, I, saw this, I saw this video on, on X today. And I loved it because it was this little boy who was doing karate and all... The parents are watching and his little buddies are there and he's crying because he can't break the the piece of wood, the plank. And you have this instructor who's, who's a male and you can tell he's like a dad, you can feel it. And this kid's crying. And like in my house, and this is probably true in most houses. Like if, if my son is like crying, my, my wife's natural instinct is to go console. That's not bad. It's a motherly instinct. My instinct is to be like, stop crying. You cannot think when you're crying. Set yourself up and kick this piece of wood like I feel like kicking you right now. I wouldn't say that. No, like that's a, that's a fatherly like instinct. It's like, bro, let's go. You got this. And so the dad is like, hey, hey, you got this. Let's go. And he starts rallying all the parents and all the other kids to cheer this little kid on to the point where the kid has so much courage. All of a sudden, just, it feels like, whew, like in an instant, like he stops crying and then he like gets in a position you never seen him in. And then man, he just steps and breaks the wood. 
And then literally all of his buddies tackle him and are cheering. I mean, it is so beautiful. I'm like crying going, oh my gosh, you know, I, I, you know what I mean? Like, it was just so awesome. Like everybody erupts in cheer. Like this friends is the picture of your good father. And sometimes we neglect difficult seasons and we try to run from difficult seasons because we don't actually recognize how valuable they are. We don't realize that it's in trouble that God is trying to give us not just soothing sympathy, but bravery. A bravery that says you can do it. I don't think you realize there's a whole cloud of witnesses surrounding heaven and your life, angels around you, friends, brothers, and sisters, and the God of all creation going, you can do this. I've got you. Set back up. You don't have to be afraid. I'm the God of all strength. I am your source. Kick again. Like this is the kind of bravery, the kind of courage that God wants to put in you. And it's what he promises. See, trouble is a sign that God is getting ready to do something triumphant. That's the truth. And I think that in our culture, we are obsessed with soothing. We are, we are overwhelmingly complainers, and we complain. We are overwhelming comparison experts. We compare. And comparison is really dangerous. Now, it's one thing, okay, to, to like, it's one thing to like observe your life and sometimes see other people's lives that you know and be like, man, I need to pray for them. And like, like, thank you, Jesus. Like, that's not my situation right now. But it's a tension and it's a fine line to guard from pride and also com guard from comparison. But it's also okay to garner gratitude when your life is not in chaos. However, comparison's dangerous because what you're trying to do subconsciously is make yourself feel better. And also what you do is, is naturally, subconsciously, you want to complain about how awful you have it. And it's kind of like, like comparison is dangerous because it will tend you, send you into a tailspin. Have you ever been in a bad breakup and then you run to your room and somehow you've got 90s R&B on? It's like, go to the end of the road, still I can't let... And somehow this hurts so good. It's unnatural. I be, why are you doing this? It's like, what, how is this helping right now? Like, this is so depressing. Yet here you are, like, this is the move. And like, it's just, it's, 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 it's dangerous to like, want to like, uh, like dig deeper into your feelings. It's, it's important and it's good to bring clarity to your feelings, but then to add piles onto that, probably not great. And like, here's what comparison is because we all tend to do it is, is comparison is, is, is like watching somebody else eat a great steak and then they vomit it and then you eat the vomit and then you say, and then you say, oh, I had a steak too. 
it's regurgitation. And you must guard yourself from this and remember that God uniquely, listen to me, God uniquely strengthens you and gives you courage for your unique circumstance. We try, we're like, it's good to be around others, but like, hey, like that come around you and, and help you and, 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 and care for you in your time of struggle, but you cannot garner all the source of strength and love and hope you need from other people alone. Only God's strength can get you through trouble. Only God's strength can help you overcome and be victorious in the opportunity. And our good father is not just about allowing you to soothe and then complain and compare. Definitely come to him and weep and cry and shout and he will put his arms around you and love you. And then he will say, wipe the tears and kick the wood because I got you and so do your brothers and sisters and so does all of heaven. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. God makes us brave. He's big enough for your sickness. He's big enough for your grief. He's big enough for your calling. He's big enough for your marriage. He's big enough for your loneliness. He's big enough for this depression. He's big enough for the anxiety. He's big enough for the children. He's big enough for the mountain. He's big enough for the secret sin. There's nothing. There's nothing bigger or stronger than the strength that God promises to give you. some point, some point after you've cried a little while, ask God for the strength to go live again and to go win again. Verse 15. Now this is interesting. It really, it really illuminates why there's some tension here. And I can't go verse by verse, every single verse through second Corinthians. And maybe in your block groups, uh, it would be a great thing for you to, to hit some of the missing verses. We won't be able to get through all of it if I do that. So I'm going to jump down to verse 15 and I'll do that a little bit through the series. But since I was so sure of your understanding and trust, I wanted to give you a double blessing by visiting you twice. I always tell my wife that. First on my way to Macedonia and again when I returned from Macedonia. Then you could send me on my way to Judea. Uh, you may be asking why I changed my plan. Do you think I make my plans carelessly? Do you think I'm like people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and no. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas Timothy and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, he always does what he says. Another way to say that was, would be that God stands on promises. Verse 20, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Now I preach from the NLT, New Living Translation, typically 
Other versions might say that all God's promises in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. Now, we'll get to that in a second, but some more context here. The Corinthian church accused Paul of being unreliable and untrustworthy because, because he said he would come at a certain time and did not. His first visit to them, we see this in, in 1 Corinthians, is it's sorrowful because he has to rebuke them. And there's a lot of tension. You know, it reminds me, honestly, that my job up here every week is not always to make you happy. It's not always to, to, to give you like, rah, rah, you know, you can do it. And like, and that's important, but also like my job is to be like, repent, get out of your sin. You're, you're missing your potential. God's got more for you. And so you have to make sure that we balance our emotions and our feelings and make sure that our heart is not callous to the things of God, that we stay sensitive to conviction, not condemnation, not guilt, not shame, but hey, God's got more for, the, for me than this. Also, like he was unable to come as he planned. So instead, he sends a letter. In 1 Corinthians 16, 5, we see this. Now, Paul promises to see them after his trip through Macedonia, and he changes his plans and says, I'm going to see you on my way and then on my way back. Second blessing. And it just cracks me up because this is a little preacher's joke, but like they're mad. And it's like, man, you just can't please church folks, right, Paul? No, it's for me. That was for me, not for you. You know, but there's a group of anti-Paul folks here. And he responds and he's like, hey, when I was planning this, like I didn't do this lightly. Like I prayed, I thought about it. And the Corinthian church accuses him of being fickle and insisted if Paul were a man of integrity, his yes would be yes, his no would be no. And while that's true, he feels like he gives an outline of reasons. Essentially, you're just seeing people who are bitter and offended. But here's the application. Paul defends himself and he says, as surely as God is faithful, our group, so were we. I don't make my plans carelessly and neither does God. Now, I swear Paul is from Philadelphia because he's literally always looking for a conflict. <laughs> But, but, but what I think he's illuminating is this, okay? Like, Paul's like, listen to me, trust me. I am a reliable person, I am. But he's insinuating that at the end of the day, even if you don't like me, and even if you think I'm unreliable, I still and we still serve the God who's never lied, who's never let us down, and who's never missed on a promise. He's saying to them, all God's, pro forget about me. Take that. Okay, fine. You want to be mad at me? Fine. Cool. You don't like me? Fine. I'm not your cup of tea? Cool. I'm not trying to be everybody's cup of tea. But guess what? God is not me and God is not a man that he should lie. 
In fact, Jesus, he was there in the beginning as God was creating. John writes and says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He's always been there every moment, you know, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing in a fire, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up to deliver them. And every single time somebody was in need, like the Israelites standing at the water's edge going, what are we going to do? God opened it up. Paul's like, hey, all through the history of our people, God's been faithful. And guess what? All through the future of our people, God will be faithful too. And let me remind you that this is not just for the Corinthians. This is for you too. All of his promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. You know that there are over 3,000 promises in scripture. There are over 3,000 promises for you in 2024. Do you know them? Have you read them? Have you declared them? Have you affirmed them? Have you walked in them? I would hate it if you stood on somebody else's human, flawed, failing and fleeting words, or even your own, but didn't stand on God's promises that as far as I can tell, have never missed. 3,000. Some of those signs or promises I want to encourage you with right now. Because what we have promised is, is full access to God through Jesus, not through anybody else, not through any other name, not through any other saint, but there is but one way to God and that's Jesus. He's the door and he promises and the word promises that if you want God, you can have him today and right now in Jesus name. Meaning if you're far from God, if you're full of sin, if you're depressed, if you feel like you're a failure, if you feel like you've made your whole life about you, at the end of the day, in Jesus' name, all of a sudden you get God and God does the changing. God does the healing. God does the working. You have access to God. That's a promise right now. There's a promise that this life will matter through Jesus. You lose your life, you find it in him. If you surrender to him, your life will matter. You will make a difference. You will change the world. The promise that he's chasing you, that Jesus leaves the 99 to pursue the one. In other words, you hear my voice, you're watching me. What you're hearing is God's voice and God's love saying, I chased you down even when you didn't want me. I found you when you didn't even choose me. When you were hanging over the ledge, ready to die, give up and give in, when you were running from me in your sin, I went and found you and I placed you here. That's a promise that I'll always chase you. He promises that his mercies are new each morning, that you can confess that great is his faithfulness morning by morning, that right now his mercies are fresh. His opportunities are new right now. He promises to give you rest through Jesus. Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest for your soul. He promises to answer your prayers. Jesus says, knock and the door will be open to you. 
You want the Holy Spirit, right? I'm not gonna give you a snake if you ask for bread. And sometimes we don't like his answers because sometimes they're no or not now, but he still answers and you still get to talk to God. And when we trust his answer, it always works out better for you. There's the promise that he'll be with you. Jesus says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. His presence is available in trouble and in triumph. There's a promise that you can be free from sin. The Bible says, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And when you bring the sin to the light, when you expose it, when you don't hide it, when you keep exposing it, God sets you free. His promise is that He'll speak and send the advocate, send his spirit, your guiding voice that you can leave church and you can go to work on Monday and still have his voice guiding you. Go here, go there, stop, shut your mouth, keep moving, speak up, take this opportunity. God's voice is available to all of us. God promises that he has a plan through Jesus, that it's gonna work out. He promises that nothing is impossible. The other night I had a had a young lady come up to me and she said, you don't know this. I probably should have told you, but um, I had been battling severe sickness and I had cancer in my body. And one night at one of the all staffs she was at, I had transitioned worship and I got up and I really sensed God wanted to heal somebody or do a healing work. And, and she said, you looked right at me. And I honestly, I, I didn't know I was doing that. And, and I just declared that healing was in the house. And she had been in this ongoing process and she had went to the doctor the very next day. And for the first time, she had no cancer in her body. Friends, we don't serve a God who almost can or might can or will try. We serve the God of the impossible, that all of his promises are yes and amen, that he can do it. It's not if, it's when. His timing is perfect. He always shows up. We serve a great God who always stands on his promise. And I just want to encourage you this year. Don't live your life leaning or hoping or because humans will miss it. But God never fails. You believe that today? Would you say amen? Come on, let's stand to our feet. Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially want to thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it, and post your social stories and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again, and God bless you.